Okay, we are in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and we're reading from uh, verse 21. Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 21. Therefore it is necessary that the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show us which one of these two you have chosen to accompany this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So what they wanted to do, what they had to do is they had to choose a twelfth apostle because Judas was now dead. Judas had gone his own way. We looked at that a little bit last time. But why did they have to choose a twelfth? Why, why weren't eleven enough? And it turns out that, that uh, there, there's two portions in the scriptures. Uh, one is in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Matthew chapter 19 Verse 28 says, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So that's in Matthew 19, verse 28. So Jesus spoke actually of twelve thrones being there for those twelve apostles. And then again in, in, in almost the, the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. So there's 22 chapters in Revelation, but in Revelation chapter 21, it's referred to again that, that it, it talks about the foundations that, that are going to be there. Uh, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So these apostles actually had quite a high place in the kingdom of God. It is through these twelve men that are going to come the doctrine that we're going to be following in the New Testament. Through the the writings of these twelve men and the testimonies of these twelve men. So they need to choose a twelfth man. Now many people feel that, that the choice that they ultimately made for Matthias was not a proper choice. That God had his own man, namely Paul. But I don't think that that was the case, and we'll see why. So it says that of the, of the choices, it says in verse 21, is that it has to be a man who has accompanied them from the time that the Lord Jesus went, among, went up amongst us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. So it had to be a person that witnessed the Lord from the baptism of John. The early baptism that occurred from the time when John baptized, was baptizing, until the ascension, it had to be somebody who traveled with them. So we know that once in a while Jesus would call aside the twelve to himself, but often 
there were many disciples along with the twelve that witnessed these things. Among the 120 in the upper room, there are only two that fulfilled this. So of the 120, it says there were 120 people we had read last week in, in verse 15. There were about 120 persons were, were, together, were, were gathered together there. So out of the 120, only two. One, one was uh, uh, Joseph, who was also called Barsabbas, which means some, son of the Sabbath, but, and, and, and also called Justice. So there were only two. There was Joseph and there was Matthias that had traveled with them from the time of the time when John was baptizing until the ascension, had seen all of these things, had witnessed these things, had witnessed the risen Lord and witnessed his ascension. Only two. And then from those two, they they prayed in verse twenty four. It says they prayed and said, You Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So you see that, that uh, uh, it says specifically, they're asking God to show us which one of the two you have chosen in verse 24. It's not a prayer, God, you decide between the two. God's already decided. God knows who is correct. The prayer is not... Oh God, decide which one. It's God, you've decided. You know their hearts. Show us which one. So often our prayers ought to be more this way. It's God, show me that which you want for my life. Not God, decide what you want from my life from these two options. No, God's already decided. And it's, it, it's God who reveals this to us. Many times He reveals it to us through circumstances. But... They say, show it to us. And then it says, and they, they drew lots in verse 26. Now, the way they used to draw lots, they would take two stones, and they would write on one stone, they would write the name Justice. The other stone, they'd write Matthias. And they'd put it in a, in a jar of some type. The jar isn't well known. And they'd shake the jar. The first stone to fall out was the one that, that uh, said Matthias. Now, many people say that, that this is not a good way. But in fact, the only way that they knew is they were going to start using the Old Testament commandment. And the Old Testament used the drawing of lots on several occasions. Leviticus 16, verse 8. Joshua 14, 2. Nehemiah 10, 34. Nehemiah 11, 1. All of those occasions, there was a drawing of lots. And in fact, it's sanctioned for them in the book of Proverbs. If you look in Proverbs chapter 16... In Proverbs chapter 16, it speaks specifically about the drawing of lots. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So for them, it was sanctioned. And they used this technique. But we never see it ever again used in the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. We never see it again anywhere in the New Testament. Nowhere again did they ever draw lots. They sought the counsel of the Lord. They sought the counsel of the Lord, but there never again was a drawing of lots. And never are we told to draw lots in in the New Testament by instruction. But the way they, they would pursue things is they would gather together and they would pray. 
And the Lord would begin to reveal things in that, that way. And that's why we pray and we petition to the Lord and we don't go, go and draw lots. It's because at this time they were still functioning under the, the Old Testament ways. The Spirit had not yet fallen on them. Now some people argue that, that Paul really was God's choice because this book of Acts focuses so much on Paul. Actually, it focuses on two people. In the first part of Acts, it focuses on Peter and the ministry of Peter. In the second part of Acts, it follows the life of Paul. This book has chosen to follow the life of two people specifically, Peter and Paul. And if you go back in verse 13 of Acts chapter 1, it says, When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew and and Philip and and, and Thomas Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. So you have the eleven apostles. Eleven of them are mentioned. Only one of those eleven is spoken about very much at all in the book of Acts, and that's Peter. And the the other ones that are mentioned, like John, are only in the context when they are working with Peter or with Paul. Most of them are never again mentioned in this book. So that they're not mentioned, and so that Matthias isn't mentioned again, doesn't necessarily exclude him from being one of the twelve, any more than all the other apostles in verse 13 aren't mentioned, would exclude them. So you see in verse 26, it says, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So there was eleven plus the new addition, Matthias made it twelve. And then this was further spoken of in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, before Paul was even on the scene, before Paul was saved, in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says, So the twelve summoned the congregation. So already, they were functioning as the body of twelve. A decision was made, they were functioning as the body of twelve. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians, it says, that the Lord appeared first to Cephas and then to the twelve. Well, Jesus never, after he rose from the dead, appeared to Judas, how could he have appeared to the twelve? He appeared to the twelve because he appeared to Matthias, who was among the twelve, but was not chosen as the twelfth at that time. So, repeatedly through the scriptures, and what we see is how precise God really is. His word is really quite precise. And sometimes, you know, we we think this is kind of loosey-goosey on sort of things, and it's not. It's really very precise. And as, as we study it, we see this. So they drew lots, but Lot fell to this man, Matthias, and he was numbered as the twelfth apostle. It will be his name on the foundation stone in the New Jerusalem, in the coming kingdom. It will be Matthias who will be reigning with the, who will be sitting on thrones with eleven others that will be ruling over the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, now Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested upon each one of them. And they were filled up with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, 
Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, uh, uh, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They're full of sweet wine. Okay, so this is, this is a powerful portion of Scripture. They're there. This is the day of Pentecost. This is 50 days after after the, the resur- at 50 days after the Passover is, is, uh, is this day of Pentecost occurs. There were, th- this day of Pentecost was the start of the Feast of Weeks. There were three feasts where Jews were told to appear in Jerusalem. One was the Passover, one was the Feast of Weeks, and the last was the Day of Atonement. Three occasions they had to be in Jerusalem. All males, all Jewish males were supposed to go. Did they all go? Probably not. But this is when they were called to go. Because 50 days after the Passover started this this Pentecost, this Feast of Weeks, many men would actually stay in Jerusalem all that time and they would build up ten cities around the city of Jerusalem. So rather than travel all the way home and then all the way back within 50 days, which would probably consume the entire time, they would just hang out there and they would wait. So because of that, there were many people from all the parts of, 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 of uh, uh, the Jews, all the, the places they were dispersed to, that were going to be there at the time. Men had to appear in Jerusalem. And then it says that they were together, and it, it says there appeared to them in verse 3, tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, we don't know from the context whether the they is the 120 from the upper room or the they is the apostles. We don't know that out of the 120, whether all of them got filled with the Holy Spirit. And we would like to believe that it wasn't just the apostles, right? We would certainly like to believe that. And we don't know... What of the group of the 120 were speaking the word of God in these other languages? Maybe it was all the 120. Maybe it wasn't. It just says they. And usually what happens in the Greek, if it just says they, it refers, not always, but generally it refers back to the group that they were previously talking about. The group that they were previously talking about was actually the 12, spoken of in verse 26. And they drew lots... For them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So it may just be only the apostles were speaking in tongues, or it may be the 120. We can't tell from this context. But if you turn, if, if you look over at later on in the same chapter, it, it says um, in verse 36. Verse 36. No, in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, 
brethren, what shall, shall we do? So after the explanation came from Peter regarding the explanation of what these people were talking about and why this was occurring, they turned not to the 120, but they turned specifically to these 12 apostles, to Peter and the other 11, and said, what are we going to do now? So already this group of 12 were starting to be separated from the others. Something was happening among this group of 12, but we don't know specifically whether it was only these 12 that were speaking in what the Bible called tongues. Now, now what's interesting about this is, they were speaking in what the Bible calls tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. When people speak in tongues, it is not the Spirit speaking, it is the person speaking, but the Spirit is giving them utterance. And it's important to make this distinction, because if it was the Spirit speaking, then in 1 Corinthians, we wouldn't need all this instruction on how not to mess it up. We get all this instruction specifically on when, when speaking in tongues should take place, and when interpretations, and, and so if something is just the Spirit speaking through us, we can't mess it up. But if the Spirit is giving us utterance, that means that we can mess it up and we need instruction on how to use it, and it's the same with any gift. Some people have a gift of teaching. They're particularly gifted at teaching. But they mess it up sometimes. They use it to teach things that aren't quite right. Or they, they use this gift that they have in a way that's not glorifying to God. It can be messed up. It can be used abusively, and that's why we have instruction in Scripture regarding the use of gifts. It's the Spirit gives us utterance. The Spirit gives us ability. The Spirit gives us talent. But it's not separated from us like, oh, when I speak, when I teach, it is the Spirit. How dare you question it? No, you question it. The Bible says that, that, that teachers, we, we're held to greater accountability. And some people are given a, 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 a position of, as overseer, pastor of a church. It is not that, oh, the Spirit is using them. You, you can't question what they say. Not that at all. They're to be submitted one to another. And so just because we, we we're given gifts, and we are, on the day we're saved, we're given gifts. God gives different people different gifts. But it's the gifts working through us, and very often we abuse those gifts. That's why we have all this instruction. So the Spirit, it says, was giving them utterance, but they were speaking a language. This was, in this instance, and I'm not against speaking in tongues, not at all. This particular use of tongues was not just a language of angels that no man could understand. This particular gift of tongues that was given on this day was a particular gift that they were speaking a language that they didn't normally know that was comprehensible to everybody. They heard it speaking. It says, it says in verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, speaking the mighty deeds of God. So what were they speaking? They were testified. Here they are witnessing in all these different languages. And so we, we know what languages there were, actually. Uh, because it says, it says uh, there were Parthians, Medians, Elamites, and Mesopotamians. These actually come from the eastern side of Judea, across the, the river Jordan, and they spoke Aramaic. And this is where the, the ten tribes, these were descended from the ten tribes. 
And then there were, it says Judeans. This includes the Galilee. There they spoke Hebrew, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. These are from Asia Minor, which is today Turkey. And there they spoke Greek. Uh, then there were, it says from Egypt and parts of Libya around Cyrene. That's North Africa. And there they also spoke Greek. It says Rome was represented. So we have Europe represented in Rome. And they spoke Latin. Cretan spoke Greek. And then the Arabians spoke Nabataean. So there was Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and Nabataean. There were five languages being spoken. Five languages were being spoken as represented by those people groups. They all heard them speaking in their own tongue. Now, this is specifically speaking in a language. With, with, with all the rules of language and all the syllables that languages have. This is not the rapid succession and repeating of three or four or five syllables. You know, when my kids were very young, they were very impressed because I know about one sentence in lots of different languages, different sentences. So, I know Hebrew. So, I, I remember a few lines of Hebrew from when I was a kid and my daughter used to be really impressed. Then she used to say, tell me more, and I would repeat the same line. And she would say, tell me more, and I'd repeat the same line. And it didn't take her long to realize that I really didn't know the language. I was just parroting some line. And it's the same with many other languages. I know how to say, hello, how are you? So, for example, in Arabic, marhaba, kepahali. So, marhaba, you know, hello, how are you? And so you say, wow, you really know Arabic. And I impress people sometimes. And then they start speaking to me and I say, Marhaba, Kepahalik. <laughs> and then they ask me and they say, Marhaba, Kepahalik. And then they realize I don't know the language. I'm repeating the same syllables over and over again. That doesn't impress people. People don't say, wow, Jim really knows Arabic. No, I know one sentence. That's it. And it's, it's the same in Shireen's language. I know like three sentences. The important things like, I'm hungry. I'm tired, and I'm thirsty. <laughs> and, and I repeat these all the time. So they weren't just repeating the same syllable over and over again. They were speaking a language, and these people were, <clears throat> were thoroughly impressed. So it was a language with dialects and rules, and they were going and reciting these things. But it says, it says in verse 7, They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? All the disciples were Galileans. And apparently the Galileans had this guttural uh, 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 accent, this strong guttural accent that people could identify. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not the only one. I mean, when I, when I travel, I can know when a person is from Brooklyn. I know it, because they sound a little bit like me. Now, I left New York City when I was 18, and so I've lost some of it, but to other people, they're thinking, you haven't lost any of it. But uh, you can identify people when they're speaking, from what part of the country they're from. If, if they're from the southern, the southeastern part of the country, you can usually identify that. So when I meet someone who's from France, and they're speaking to me in English, I know that they're French, just from their accent. When I meet somebody from Germany and they start speaking to me in English, I know that they're German just by their accent. So these people recognize these men as being Galileans, yet speaking in their own language. This was a precise language. Now, most people who, who, are, who, who speak of the glories of speaking in tongues will concede that, yes, there is a gift of tongues that comes when sometimes God will grant somebody a whole language to speak and to give testimony. And I've heard people 
give testimony how they didn't speak a language and God had them in this place and they just started speaking and turned out to be the language of those people. This didn't need an interpreter. This is different than the speaking in tongues that, that we, got in, we get instructed about in, in Corinthians where somebody is speaking in a language that's barbarian to everybody and then there's an interpreter. This didn't need an interpreter. They were understanding them in their own language. And then it says, it says, who was in Jerusalem at this time? In verse 5, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. It talks about there being devout people at this point living in Jerusalem. They had been there for 50 days since the Passover. <clears throat> so one of the purposes of this book, in the book of Acts, is to take those Jews who are living as devout Old Testament Jews and introduce them to the gospel. This is part of what is being done here. There are devout people. Remember what we said. Jewish men were supposed to be in Jerusalem at this time. Were they all there? No. <clears throat> because Jews are like Baptists. You have some that are quite devout and you have some that have never read their Bible. And, and so you, you have all different types of people within the group. But there were devout there are devout Baptists, there were devout Jews, and the devout ones would hang out there the whole 50 days waiting for this Feast of Weeks to take place. And it says there were devout men from every nation under heaven. And part of the purpose is to introduce these devout men to the things of God. This word devout that Luke uses in the book of Acts, he, used, he, he also used previously in, in, in Luke Chapter 2, if you, if you look over in Luke chapter 2, because remember, Luke wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, as well as the book of Acts. And in Luke chapter 2, it, it speaks of another man named Simeon, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of, the, of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. And he goes on. There was this devout man, Simeon who was seeking the Lord, seeking this consolation of Israel, and God had promised him, you will not see death until you see the Lord's Christ. And he sees this baby. The word that you, Luke uses for him is this devout man. Same word here in, in, in Acts chapter 2. There were devout men living in Jerusalem. And, and, and uh, there were devout Jews living in Jerusalem. Devout men from every nation under heaven. God had brought them back. These devout men here... This message in their own language, and it says, it, it, it says uh, uh, in verse 6, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished. Okay, so it says, it, it says that they were bewildered, they were amazed, they were astonished. And then in verse 11, we hear them in our own language speaking of the mighty deeds of God. This is what they were hearing. In their own language, they heard the mighty deeds of God. They recognized it as the mighty deeds of God. This wasn't just some 
crazy TV evangelist we hear. No, we hear the mighty deeds of God being preached. These devout men recognized this message as the mighty deeds of God being preached. And in verse 12, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? So they recognized it as a divine experience that something was being preached and they're looking and they're searching, what's the meaning of all of this? Among them is another group. Another group says in verse 13, but others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. They're drunk. So you have one group of people, devout men, who recognize this is a message from God. You have another group who say, ah, these guys are drunk. You know, there's a, there's a portion that I've actually been, been meditating on. If you, if you turn over, keep your finger there, but turn over to, to um, Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. What he says in verse 28, the nearness of God is my good. If there is any good in me, it is because God is near me. The nearness of God is my good. And this is exactly how I feel. God, when I am close to you, when my relationship is right with you and I am close to you, then the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. So this psalmist is saying, the nearness of God is my good, therefore I've made the Lord God my refuge. I don't want to be without Him. Because as soon as I start moving away from God, all the grossness of my own heart starts to come out. And it is really gross. It grosses me out and everyone else around me. That I may tell... Of all your works. The nearness of God is my good. These devout men had the nearness of God and they could recognize something as being from God, as being a message from God. They could recognize this as being a place where God is speaking. And those who are far from God just mock and have a cynical attitude and say, the guys are drunk. And this is exactly what happens to you and to me in our lives as we are close to God and we allow God to speak to our hearts on a regular basis, a closeness in there is there, and we say, it's because of you, Lord God, that there is some good in my life. And we recognize messages from God, and we see things and we say, wow, that's amazing, God is working. What a message. And then when we're far from God, we hear some message and we're like, ah, oh, that was boring, there's nothing there. The guy's drunk. The guy's lost. And we have this cynical nature and this cynical attitude because that's inherent what's within us. And without being close to God, we end up hearing this amazing message of God, men filled by the Holy Spirit, and just chalking it up as drunkenness. To be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled with the Spirit. And we're going to see that throughout this book. To be filled with means to be controlled by And so a person can have the Holy Spirit, but not be filled. And our constant desire must be, God, 
Fill me to overflowing. Fill me. Not that I've lost the Spirit on the days when I feel far from God, but there's no filling, there's no control, and I end up doing my own way and doing my own thing. And it is the nearness of God that will keep us good. It is the nearness of God for you this summer that will keep you on the right path. It is that nearness of God that will keep it right for you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank You, Lord God. Father, I pray for these students, many of them going to be leaving for the summer. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would stay near You. That the nearness of God would be their good. That they wouldn't come with, with, with cynical spirits, just rejecting the things of God and never noticing Your hand. But Father, each day they would come before You and be drawn before You to spend time with You. That the nearness of God would be their good and therefore they would make the Lord God their refuge. Father, I pray that You would keep them in that place. Protect them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.